Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to the Football Code Business Podcast, the podcast in which I'm lucky enough to talk to some of the most exceptional and innovative people working in the world's most popular sport. I'm your host, Alex Manby, and today I'm talking to Lee Price, former head of mischief at Paddy Power, who is now director of global comms at Allbirds. Lee was behind a number of the bookmakers' most famous campaigns, including their extraordinary Russia 2018 World Cup activation, Rainbow Russians, which saw Paddy Power commit to donating money to LGBTQ charities every time the host nation scored a goal during the tournament as a way to make a stand against Russia's reprehensible treatment of LGBTQ people. I'm going to talk to Lee about that campaign, amongst others he was responsible for, and more generally how brands should go about getting attention at a World Cup and the element of risk versus reward. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No pressure after that intro. That was very generous. So first up, let's talk about that role, Lee. Head of mischief. Is that the best job title in the world? Is it the best job in the world? I think the answer is probably yes to both, even though I no longer could do that job, so I might be slightly uh, contradicting myself there. Mischief is inherent to Paddy Power as a brand, which I think everyone knows. I guess the interesting, inverted commas, thing that I could add is that it was created as part of the brand DNA for a reason. Um, the brand is called Paddy Power. The colours are green. The tone is distinctly Irish because they had to stand out when the Irish government relaxed tax laws to encourage British businesses to come in. And so when you have behemoths like Labbrooks coming in, these Irish bookies weren't going to survive unless they had a USP. So three Irish bookmakers merged to form Paddy Power. And from the start, they had to be distinctly Irish, frankly, to win the Irish customers' vote and cash. And then it stuck. And that sort of crack that they call it in Ireland that is inherent in society has continued to be a drumbeat for the brand. And so it has got a reason and it is a lot of fun. And it's not just a PR name, is it? I've, I've heard this previously. People sort of saying, oh, there's not, there's not actually a mischief team. It's actually <laughs> a genuine team. Um, how many employees have you got? And what do you do on a day-to-day basis in your mischief team? Yeah, it is a real department of Paddy Power. They get that a lot of Paddy Power, like, Paddy Power himself is often accused of being like an actor or a fake name. That is his real name. He's a real spokesperson. So for whatever reason, the Paddy Power brand is is shrouded in in mystery. Um, But Mischief was a real department when I was there. Um, We had a team, it was quite a nimble team of three or four people plus various agencies externally. And the mission was quite simply get cut through and talkability around major sporting moments. Um, and within that be entertaining and on the money in terms of topics. So it's quite a challenging role, but also the most fun you can have for a sports fan. Was there any one moment where people sort of started thinking, and it may have been before your time, where people started thinking, this is working? And I've got one in mind. I remember when Paddy Power paid out on Man United to win the league in 97, <laughs> 98, and then Arsenal went on to win it. And people sort of said, what a disaster. That bookmaker must have lost a load of money. But it was only the first time the bookie came to my attention. And I'm sure that was true for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that sort of moment where things in inverted commas go wrong is when it spreads like wildfire online and in the media. And I think Paddy Power grew rapidly from foundation in 1988. And not just in Ireland, but when they came to the UK, they became super popular as this underdog brand, this cheeky on the 
on the money brand that says things your mates would say in the pub. And they realized that whether intentional or not, and I'm sure it was intentional, um, that they'd found this lane that no one else was occupying. And by the time others caught up with that, they couldn't copy Paddy Power because they'd be told they were copying Paddy Power. So it's a real thing and it was successful and I hope they continue to do it. So let's talk about Rainbow Russians. I've also heard it referred to as From Russia With Equal Love, but I believe the campaign name is, is Rainbow <laughs> Russians. For those who aren't aware, what did Paddy Power do during that 2018 Russia World Cup? Yeah, I've been reflecting on this campaign a lot recently, given world events this year. And it seems mad that we were so actively provoking Russia, as it were. Um, I can't quite imagine that. Um, it was a bad idea for the World Cup to be in Russia. We've heard this story recently too. But, you know, the talk of hooligans, the awful travel for fans, the Salisbury Cathedral stuff, which I've completely forgotten about. And we noticed this rainbow-coloured elephant in the room around these horrible laws about being gay in Russia. And for whatever reason, brands didn't feel compelled to talk about them as much as everything else in Russia. And there was a lot to talk about, in fairness. And given Paddy Power's activism in LGBTQ plus rights previously, um, they created Rainbow Laces, for instance. It felt like a topic we were uniquely positioned to address, or at least consider addressing. So long story short, sorry, uh, we decided to donate £10,000 to an LGBTQ plus charity every time Russia scored at the World Cup. And that's supposed to be cheap, but it didn't end up that way. Who came up with the idea? And I do want to, yeah, the, the final number was at 170 grand. Paddy Bauer <laughs> ended up giving to charity. It wasn't the um, number I pitched. <laughs> when you were, I'm sure you were evaluating the sort of financial implications and thinking, mm -hmm. okay, Russia, you know, they're okay, but they're not brilliant. Might get out of the group, possibly not. A couple of goals. What were your predictions for how many they would score? Yeah, well, when you work for a betting company, it turns out there are quite a few number wizards in the room. So there was a, a weirdly um, accountant-like analysis of how many goals Russia would score at that World Cup. Uh, and I had it on good authority. They would score 5.2 goals. I don't know where the point two comes into it, but that informed our budget for the campaign. To me, it seemed like a generous budget. And then they beat Saudi Arabia 5-0 in the opening game. And to your point about the payout earlier... My initial reaction was, oh my God, what have I done? I'm in big trouble. And then you realize, oh no, this is the best possible start of the campaign because it makes it talked about everywhere. This bookie hasn't just said they're going to do it. They now have to pay £50,000 to charity, which we were going to do anyway, but it just kicked off the campaign in the most brilliant way. And we ended up doubling the per goal tally when Russia qualified for the knockout stages. Um, and they reached the quarterfinals, I think. They lost on penalties to Croatia. If only they'd won, then England could have beaten them in the semi-final, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, let's not go there. Let's um, yeah, <laughs> bring up painful memories. So you weren't worried then at this point someone was going to come knock on your door and say, why am I about to sign a six-figure cheque when you told me it was 50 grand and no more? <laughs> well, no, luckily, because that night that they'd beaten Saudi Arabia, the media went wild. I was on CNN Live wearing a Russia shirt. Um, the campaign went viral globally. So... That evening, I was pretty comfortable that the extra spend would be worth it. I was more worried about someone from Russia knocking on my door, to be really honest, after the Salisbury <laughs> stuff. And I'd been spamming like every Russian MP or their equivalent in the build-up because I was worried that they wouldn't notice it. So I was desperately trying to make sure they did notice it. And then I actually travelled to Russia for the World Cup semi-final for England. And it did cross my mind that, oh, I've just done this campaign. 
and now I'm stepping foot into Russia. Is this a mistake? But um, I had to be there for England. Tell me about the campaign from ideation through to reality. How many people were involved? Um, who came up with the initial idea? So the process pre-World Cup or uh, major tournament for Paddy Power is that you know, well, you know at least a year in advance that you need a big idea at this moment, but the actual talking points and landscape don't really cement until realistically three to six months in advance. So um, me and my colleague, Amy Jones, did a round of various agencies that we knew in London and the UK, basically seeing what ideas they had for the World Cup. And we sat through some good presentations, some less good presentations, lots of complicated ideas. And then we spoke to a lovely chap called Greg Double, who was working for a company, I believe they were called Engine at the time, but they've changed name about three times since. So I'm not going to give him the right plug. Sorry, Greg. And they had a deck. And this was like, the way he delivered it was like a one-liner, just like Russia basically made it illegal to be gay. So every time they score, you donate to charity. And we were immediately like, that's it. It was so simple, so smart. And away we went. And so we took it back to our bosses internally at Paddy Power. And the pitch process was the easiest I've ever been involved with. And that was testament to the idea because everyone got it immediately. Some of the lawyers got the scary bit first, but um, we talked them around. And once we'd done the analysis on the goals and we, we'd written off Russia's chances, it felt like a cost-effective, simple, but brave way of activating around the World Cup. And we actually um, partnered with Attitude magazine. I like mentioning this because my favorite part. And they have an annual awards for activism around LGBTQ plus rights. And we partnered with them to give the Russian football team allies, allies of the year for their historic fundraising efforts. So well done to the Russia team. Fantastic. Um, how about the public reaction? You said it went viral. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it probably Department of Mischief and Paddy Power and That's working that- on these campaigns brings a certain liability or even certainty that you're going to get some backlash from some mm-hmm. people. Yes. Um, who did you manage to infuriate with this campaign and did you care? Do you know what? Um, one of the biggest groups of people that we we pissed off was a certain portion of Paddy Power customers. And some of our posts and videos around the concept had like these terrible comments from like a niche following of Paddy Power. And we knew that we'd upset some customers because there were people like that in the world. So we decided to address that head on and make like a mean tweet style video, but reading out these horrible tweets and, and basically laughing at them. Um, and if you can find that on the internet, it's, it's really funny. And again, it's something that's really powerful to watch and, and laugh at people for their bigoted views to underscores the, the whole point of the campaign. Rainbow Russians wasn't the only thing Paddy Power did at the 2018 World Cup. Uh, can you tell us about the polar bear stunt? <laughs> I can. Um, that was my lovely colleague, Paul Mallon, who works for Lucky Generals now. But um, that was to be the pre-tournament kickoff with Rainbow Russians as the day one activation. That was part of our official planning. And that's as far as our planning went, by the way. But it was a spoof video of a polar bear somewhere in northern Russia, I think it was. And apparently someone had spray painted a St. George's cross onto its fur, um, which to be clear... Did not happen. It was a spoof video. And I think it was like a, it was an early runner of deep fakes that we posted it on Reddit somewhere and it got picked up and it ended up being the Paddy Power visual for a, a Metro cover wrap. And it was just to set the tone of a, a mischievous World Cup for Paddy Power. And you'd done it previously, right? I remember the Amazon stunt in mm-hmm. Brazil, which was kind of similar. It was this idea 
this formula, if you like, that shock, you know, you shock people, you outrage them, you get the criticism, probably the abuse, and then you reveal that it wasn't true. And in fact, not only was it not true, you've all of a sudden drawn attention to a worthy cause, you've raised awareness, you've possibly yeah. even raised funding for that cause. Is, is that about right? Yeah. Um, I remember the Amazon campaign because I was a journalist at the time. And I remember thinking, what the hell have they done? Why would they do this? Like, I'd been suckered by it completely. But what was brilliant about that was that it was an insight into how social media works, which we all we all know really, but very few brands channel that fake news spreads, outrage spreads, and you can harness that. And actually, we built on that for perhaps Paddy Power's greatest ever campaign, Save Our Shirt, which I'll never forget, where we actively planned to prompt this outrage and how you would fan the flames and then how that would build this crescendo of actual people going, oh God, fair enough, that's brilliant. Do you know what, it, something reminded me of it recently, this um, outrage to reality. And that was Joe Lycett with his yeah. David Beckham thing saying he was going to shred 10 grand. Brilliant. And he shredded it and it was brilliant. I have to say, from the start, I thought he's never going to shred 10 grand. It can't be real. But so many people did believe it and they bought into it. And I saw politicians saying, you know, he's trying hard and I get what he's trying to do, but it's outrageous that in this time of cost of living crisis, he could be shredding 10 grand. And then, of course, he does the reveal and that gets millions of views and everybody says, oh, you know, he, all along, um, you know, he was never going to do it. And he has donated the, the money to charity. How important is it that people believe it's real? And with the polar bear stunt, did people mm. believe it's real or did everybody say, hang on a minute, four years on, it's the same as the Amazon? Yeah, I think the three campaigns that have the similar mechanic we referenced there, the Amazon, the polar bear, save our shirt, those learnings all came together. And the truth is that the polar bear one, some did believe it was real, but a lot of people saw through it is the truth. But by that point, maybe it didn't matter because if people are talking about it, it's successful. I guess ultimately we would, we would have preferred they had believed that one. The learning there was that you need a kicker and that informed Save Our Shirt that we were going to release this terrible sponsorship logo across the shirt and people were going to hate it, but they would question it. So that's why we had Huddersfield that evening play in that kit to make it seem, oh God, maybe this is real. And then you sit silently for two days with certain statements that sound like, oh my God, Paddy Power are bottling it. And then you come clean. And I think the learnings of Amazon, of the polar bear led to Save Our Shirt. So um, we're not down on polar bear at all. It was just a, a step on the, the right path. And I suppose when there is outrage, it's so vehement and angry that even if you know only half the people thought it was real or less than half the people thought it was real they're still so angry that they're making so much noise that they're tagging everyone you know animal rights campaigners and, and whoever else on twitter that yeah. um you know you're probably getting the noise that you want anyway yeah that debate i guess is kind of the point no i was gonna say with um with save our shirts was huddersfield uh, the right club for any particular reason? Did you have to tell them before you signed the deal, this is what we want to do? Or was it that you signed a deal and then you thought, hang on a minute, we'll do things differently here? No, we we definitely had to tell them the idea. Um, I remember having a two-day stint of meetings in London with various clubs and we told them all the idea. And Huddersfield were the right partner because not only did they not run a mile immediately, which some clubs did, understandably, but they also built on it so we said, we want to do launch this horrible shirt and then come clean. We're trying to work out a kicker in the middle, but we'll get there. And immediately Huddersfield said back to us, oh, we're going to play a friendly that week. Why don't we just wear it in that friendly? 
And that showed to us, not only did they understand and accept it, but they were keen to build on it. It was good timing for, for us. They were a new leadership team at the club. They'd just been relegated and they were keen to do things differently in their words. And they really bought into it. And I don't believe it would have worked with almost any other club at that time for that reason. Did you care about the fans' reaction? Because presumably, I mean, you say Huddersfield is the right club, but it sounds like it was the right club for an activation you already wanted to do, which presumably because it was going to be famous and new and never before seen, you were hoping was going to hit, you know, arrive at the doorstep or on the understanding of fans all over the UK, if not further afield. Yeah. What did the Huddersfield Town fans think of it? Did they feel like, you know, what? I guess at first, I, two parts to that. What did the Huddersfield Town fans think of it when it first came out? And then were they sort of proud of it after that when it, they realized they weren't going to have a sponsor at all? Um, or did they sort of feel like, uh, you know, these guys are using us as a plaything? A game of two halves. Um, I think initially they must have been horrified, like most football fans, particularly when the team actually wore the kit and it became real. Um, there's actually a chant of stand up if you hate the shirt, which went around during that friendly, which was very funny to, to hear. But um, I think in the majority, when we came clean, they were like, this is amazing. And it's amazing that our club is part of this, you know, as a club that's not traditionally at the top table for a long time anyway, um, football, they were the talking point. And that Huddersfield shirt, I saw this online. I don't know how true it is, but was in the top 10 selling shirts in the UK that season. And some people may have said, well, yeah, but we were a marketing plaything for Paddy Power. Maybe that doesn't matter when you haven't got a horrible logo on your shirt the whole season. I'm sure there's a, a spread of opinions on that one. But a lot of Huddersfield fans that I meet and I mentioned Paddy Power to that I used to work there, they say, oh my God, that's one of the best moments in Huddersfield's recent history. So I'll take Can you get your hands on one that's, that's actually got the logo on? Did you manage to get one, uh, one that was used in the friendly? I've seen some out there. There's like some on eBay going for, for a surprising <laughs> amount of money, given that actually they're not the most amazing quality. We had to like make them by hand in the days building up to that friendly. So like... The actual sash logo, sometimes it's like flapping in the wind. So I don't know if it'd be an amazing bit of kit to play football in. I don't know how the players did, but there are some out there if you, if you want one on your wall. There you go. Lee, back to the World Cup. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about what to consider when activating around a World Cup. So both for Paddy Power, but also for, for any brand. Mm-hmm. How much thought goes into the risk versus reward side of it? And, and what I mean then is, it's a very busy time. Uh, it can mm. be an expensive time for media to reach audiences. Uh, there may be IP and rights restrictions. But on the other hand, the event has the eyes of the world on it and therefore maybe an unmissable opportunity. It's easy to throw a lot of money at a World Cup campaign, whether you're an official partner or not, and still not really cut through. I guess that's why the Paddy Power mischief slash underdog approach worked well some years. We spoke about the polar bear. Maybe the truth there is that that didn't land the way the Paddy Power hoped it would. To get the eyeballs on that, they had to pay for this cover app of the Metro, which isn't cheap to make sure people were aware of it because it is a really noisy time. And you can see how these things backfire. When we did Rainbow Russians, I think it was MasterCard launched his campaign with Lionel Messi. Every time he scored, they would donate meals to, to homeless kids somewhere or something like that. And they just missed the one simple thing you needed is to say at the bottom of that advert, no matter how many times Messi scores, we'll donate X. And we saw that come out about a week before ours was due to go live. And that was scary because they got it wrong. They had to pull it. 
they had to apologize and I had to manage a few scared people internally for Paddy Power. But you can throw money at the World Cup and, and cut through, or you can just have a brilliant idea, Joe Lysett style, and dominate the news agenda. And I guess the chance of doing that is one campaign per tournament. And the chance of not doing that is every other campaign. I guess it's also for Paddy Power, the brand has now become known for these campaigns. I mean, it's not quite John Lewis Christmas ad, but it's along those lines that people are now waiting for it. And that's a terrific place to be for a marketeer, knowing that the public is out there waiting for your World Cup ad to drop. Mm-hmm. So I suppose for Paddy Power now, you're in a position where you, I know you're not there, Lee, but Pat, the brand is a, a position, in a position now where they can't not do something around the World Cup. Yeah, that's the gift and the curse. And when I was head of mischief there, I would walk around Power Tower and all my colleagues were like, oh, what's coming up next? What are we going to do for this? What are we going to do for that? Which was lovely, but also slightly stressful when you didn't have an answer for that. But it also means that when your campaign drops for the World Cup or the Premier League, whenever, people automatically know this is Paddy Power. So therefore, like the John Lewis ad, I know I'm probably going to cry. This is Paddy Power. I'm probably going to laugh or be offended or both. And it gives you a small head start. You do still have to deliver. So the pressure is there. But um, I think people at Paddy Power now will be very, very happy that you compared them to John Lewis and Christmas for the World Cup and Paddy Power. I did say they weren't quite there. I compared <laughs> them, but I just said they weren't quite there. Talk to me about the lawyers at Paddy Power when you, Lee, go up to them and say, I've got a mischievous campaign I want to drop because it is challenging. Yeah. And brands have to navigate this. And um, you know there are certain things that partners can do and there are certain things that non-partners can do and can't do. What did you need to consider to ensure you could still run the campaign you wanted, but you stayed within FIFA's rules? The slightly flippant answer is that FIFA rules weren't that big a concern beyond like copyright and IP. Um, because as we've seen this tournament, they're very quick to act when you infringe that. Uh, and even if you don't, I felt like in many ways, it gives you more freedom to activate when you're not a partner of FIFA. If we were a partner of FIFA, we would never have done anything interesting. And, you know, look at Budweiser, this tournament, the most interesting thing they've done any World Cup ever has been the year that their beer has not been sold at grounds and their reaction to that. So I think that's pretty telling. The legal guidelines for this sort of activation are tough. And we had to have lots of very grown up conversations about the worst case scenario. And my job was always to try and pitch for, okay, we understand these risks. If that happens, this is what we do. That the most likely outcome is this. Oh, and here, by the way, is the best case scenario. And it would go up to like the CEO or whatever it would be to say, I acknowledge the worst case. I love the best case. I sign it off. And some of my favorite campaigns are the campaigns that didn't get signed off. And did you have any interaction with FIFA um, in 2018 or at any point during your time at Paddy Power? Maybe you absented yourself, Lee, and left the lawyers to it, but was there ever any interaction? On that campaign, no, but we had you know, the Save Our Shirt thing we heard from the FA. And because we weren't a partner for any of these things, we weren't really breaking any rules unless they were copyright infringements. So it was more like cease and desist style stuff. But yeah, you're right. I, if that came in, I would definitely forward immediately to the lawyers and hope that they would just take care of it and I could hide, if, if I'm being really honest. They must have somewhat expected it. I mean, I think Euro 2012, right? That's, you know, Paddy Power got in hot water then or, or Nicholas Bentner did mm-hmm. for scoring a goal for Denmark and lifting his um, shirt yeah. up and he had these spl- splendid uh, <laughs> Paddy Power boxer shorts on. Yeah. 
was that another one where Paddy Power actually thought, you know what, we'll pay the fine. I think I'm right. Bentner got fined and Paddy Power picked up the, the tab. We'll yeah. pay the fine. The publicity's worth it. Or was that one where they thought, oh, okay, you know, we can't really do that. That was a bit much. Yeah, who would have thought showing the top of a pair of pants would be so controversial and last so long? Um, I think Paddy Power have tried to recreate that stunt at every tournament since. And the truth is that it's not scary for Paddy Power because it's easy for Paddy Power, right? We just cover the bill. The players are the ones that matter and the vast majority of players do not want to piss FIFA off. Nicholas Bentner was a unique character uh, for many reasons. And I think Paddy Power in that sense got lucky in that they they stumbled upon the right guy to do it. At the time, I'm, you know, this is tales of folklore now because I wasn't there, but he actually scored twice in that game. And the first goal, he forgot to do it. So Paddy Power just assumed, oh, he, he wasn't up for it. Because there was a number of players who were approached about this. And he scored a goal and they were all waiting a bated breath and nothing happened. And they thought, oh, okay, he said no too. And then he scored the second goal and then he did it. And obviously chaos ensued. But if you look at the one love armband at this World Cup and how the players have not been able to wear that because they don't want to get booked, I can't imagine many players retraining Bentner today. And maybe the Bookmaker Association is less of a good thing in 2022 compared to 2012. But fair play to Nicholas Bentner. He took it on the chin. The plan to cover his fine, I think, was slightly more ad hoc. I don't think they realised he would actually get fined more than, you know, racist chanting got fined in that tournament which made great social media fodder for Paddy Power account, of course. But I think that set the tone for future activations. Work with us, we'll look after you. Huddersfield, we'll look after you. If you get fined or anything, we'll pay the bill because it's our fault, not yours. It is a thin line, isn't it? And and I think Paddy Power plays in those grey areas and mm-hmm. this um, philosophy to be mischievous, to be irreverent, um, to challenge people's perceptions comes up against some pretty strict federations who, you know, have their laws. Do you think you ever got it wrong when you were at Paddy Power? Not hugely, but do you think you ever overstepped the mark just a little bit? Probably. I, I mean, I'm, I can't think of the exact example of my time. And I don't want to say, no, we did it perfectly because you can't. If you're playing in the right areas, you cannot get it right every time. Lee, if our listeners want to follow you elsewhere on social media, if they want to hear more about your Previous antics or maybe what's still to come? Where can they do that? I hate to put into LinkedIn, but go to LinkedIn because that's where my most professional-ish stuff is. Um, so just search Lee Price on LinkedIn and you'll see a, a really old picture of me that I need to update. We've all been there or we all are still there. I think uh, there's plenty of that in the football industry. <laughs> thank you, Lee. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. All the best. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.